Howdy, and welcome to another episode here at Crazy for Texas. I'm your host, Amber, and our goal here at Crazy for Texas is to explore the treasures of Texas history buried right in our backyards. We strive to create a map for others inspired to follow and learn more about Texas beyond the textbook. It's people, towns, heritage, traditions, and the legends that led us to where we are today. Please share your stories or questions by email to any of our social media platforms. Let's learn from and alongside each other as we dig for another nugget of Texas history. For now, sit back, put your boots up, and get ready for another episode on Crazy for Texas. Howdy, y'all. Welcome back to Crazy for Texas, and I'm your host, Amber. We took a little break for a cruise during my school district's fall break. My honey bear and I were able to catch up on some much needed rest and relaxation while we shared our love of traveling the seas and visiting other countries with his sister and brother-in-law. But we were certainly ready to get back home. Apparently, while we were gone, we missed out on some cold weather that had hit the Houston area. I'm guessing we brought back the heat from Mexico. Sorry, y'all. But it'll be all right. I know it'll cool down soon enough. Hmm. Or will it? The weather here in the Gulf Coast region of Texas is so fickle. I can remember as a kid, there would be some Christmases that we'd get to wear shorts, while other Christmases, we'd have to bundle up. Nowadays, I don't even own a heavy coat. And Johnny, it makes no difference to him. As a bogey, born on Galveston Island, he's been known to wear flip-flops even in the years when pigs fly and it snows here. I've got the pictures to prove it. Bless America. Things have changed so much since I was a kid. But you know what, if I'm honest, I'd have to admit it isn't just society and technology, but I've changed too. In our last episode, I shared how we love to go to East Texas to go hunting and fishing. My parents just laugh at the thought. You see, I was a prissy tomboy growing up. To all of our cousins, we were the city slickers. And well, it may be a little true. I love dressing up in ruffles and dabbling in makeup. But you'd best be getting out of our way when my sister and I were headed out to the bio out behind our house to go hunting crawdads. You know, we never were able to catch Big Red, but it wasn't for lack of trying. As we grew older, my sister Kim was what we called a kicker, and I was more of the preppy girl, on the outside that is. I still had secret dreams to go hunting and catch a fish bigger than a palm-sized sunfish. Who knows where that came from because no one in my family hunted or really fished outside of church camp. Well, Kim and I grew up, and we both fell in love with some guys that had roots out in East Texas. My honey bear made all my dreams come true when I was able to tag my first doe and fry up a 24-inch catfish. Now, don't go asking Johnny about it because he exaggerates up for him, but down for me. Well, as soon as we got home from our trip, we headed back out to New London to do our interview with Miles Toller from the London Museum. Afterwards, we got to sneak over to Carthage to spend some time out in the country and stay with my sister-in-law and her husband, while Kim, my sister, was with her husband, Jamie, and his daddy out in Crockett, Texas. Jamie's family has some acreage to be ridden on by four-wheelers and full of hogs ready to be taken down. These city slickers have certainly been blessed with men that love the country and women that, as Colt Ford puts it, has a dirty side. Having not grown up with brothers... I've also been blessed with a man that's not just my brother-in-law, but my bubba. Just like any brother, he knows how to poke and push my buttons into playful frustration, and I know that he would fight a grizzly bear for me. Well, at least a care bear. (laughs) Gotcha. But you know what? Right now, he's in ICU fighting for his life. We're praying for you, sir. I love you, bubba. This one's for you. 
Hi. Miles. Welcome back. Yes, thank you for having us come back. Hey, the door's always open in the museum for you. I hear congratulations are in order for y'all's big win last night. Hey, nothing letter better than the big W, I'll tell you that. Yes. Well, we just want to welcome you guys here. We are at the London Museum in New London, Texas, and this is my friend, Miles Toller. Will you tell them a little bit about yourself? Well, needless to say, I am a graduate of London High School. A wildcat till I die, for sure and certain. Uh, born and raised here in East Texas and uh, basically known as an oil field brat. Because oh. I, my dad was with the oil field and we always asked, well, oh, what company does your daddy work for? And that's the way things were. I'm a chemical engineer by trade and uh, spent some time in the refinery business and then worked with the Reynolds Aluminum, but then retired and came back here in 2000 and thought, well, let's help the museum out. Very good. So how long have you been here with the museum? Since all 2000? All, since uh, 2000. Very good. Very good. Well, um, we got a chance to share a lot of the information that you had given us, but we want to go ahead and share that. Uh, it, the details that we weren't, weren't able to share in our podcast to let you kind of share a little bit about uh, that with our audience here. Well, I'd love to because those of us who grew up in those days, uh, in the 50s and all, and actually from the 37 on to the 50s and 60s, it's not a subject that's in a textbook, and the word doesn't go out. It took me from uh, 1958 to 2000 to come back and find out, hey, there's a lot about my school I don't know anything about, and it's a lot about what happened and the results of the explosion that people need to know, and since we have the museum here, we're putting that story out. So you said that you went to London High School and you're right. a graduate from there. So you're saying that you didn't know what happened back in 1937 when you were going there? All we knew was that the school blew up. There's a monument out in the island between Charlie McConaughey's High School Drug and London High School building. And that's it. You went by, you knew there's names in there, people got killed. Did we know that you could smell natural gas now because there's a McCaptain in it? No, we did. No earthly idea. Did we know how many kids were killed? Uh, a bunch of kids. That's all we knew. Wow. It's a, it's a sad thing. And, of course, nowadays uh, we bring the seventh graders over. We take them through the museum. They really get the story. And as we talk about it, as they look about it, and great people like you drop by and say, hey, let's keep this story alive. And that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Well, go ahead and take us back to what was New London like before this school or anything else, uh, anything the explosion happened or anything? Okay, well, our, our community was basically, you know, farming, uh, timber, that kind of stuff, just people dragging out a living. And they're trying to exist after the Depression. Mm -hmm. So there's not much going on other than we're trying to get by and we've got little wooden schools that has one room and you've got five grades in it or something like that. So it's very, and then we get lucky when Dad Joyner in 1932 decides that he thinks there's something in East Texas. And he plots things out and he said, well, this looks like where I would believe the oil field would be. And so they come to East Texas, to our area, and they drill. Dry hole one, dry hole two. Moving the rig, it breaks down. Let's drill here. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and we find oil. It's about 3,500 feet deep, and it's a, a small, narrow field, but what does it do for London? 
it turns the city of New London, which became New London after they had lost their post office, and there's a London in West Texas, unfortunately. So we are the London Wildcats at New London, and so we become the richest independent school district in the country. Well, and I guess if, if everything else is moving on in, then we have to move on up in our schools too, huh? We've got to have something nice. Gotcha. And uh, ironically, with the kind of money that uh, the London Independent School District had, what do we do? We build an elementary school. We build a high school. And in 1932, when we build it, $300,000 plus. So wow. you're talking about depression money, over $300,000. It's first class. And I have to tell you, my grandmother talks about in the Depression that they had to eat um, rotten potatoes. They, they had to get really skilled on, on getting out those rotten parts of the potatoes to eat them. But you're telling me that we had a three over $300,000 school being built? We sure did. Wow. that I guess that's oil for you. That, that's oil for you. And uh, ironically, those of us who went to school here, as, as I said, we were all field brats, but uh, we thought everybody had what we had. We didn't know any different. And uh, so you look at the times in the 30s when it's been so rough, late 20s, early 30s, and then you get this chance of, wow, there's industry in East Texas. There's jobs in East Texas. They're building refineries. They're pumping oil. Let's go to Texas and make a living. And you get an influx of people coming in here. The oil companies build homes for their people, their camps, their everything going on in East Texas in this small, narrow space from uh, north of New London to south of New London. Probably uh, 25 to 50 miles is the back. It's not very wide, but here is an area that uh, jobs are available and people come and they work. And I guess if they're coming, they're also bringing their kids too, huh? They do at that. And of course, we end up with a, a school, you know, seven, 800 kids going to school there, which uh, a first class school. It's uh, all brick with a tile roof. Uh, became air conditioned after I graduated. <laughs> but prior to that, it's just a beautiful school. And as you drive by the school today, you'll look and you'll say, boy, that's a nice looking school. But it was it built in 1937. 38, that's the one that replaced the one that exploded. Right. Well, do you have a model for us to look at? We have a model. Like? Ironically, a gentleman in my class, a class of 58, his name is Maxie Dorsey. And Maxie built this uh, model of the original school that was here that did explode. You'll see the front half of it looks like a single story. In the middle is an auditorium. This is the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade down on this end and the uh, 9th, 10th, and 11th on this end. Uh, the reason you just go 11, because there was not a 12th grade at that time. Oh, okay. But you had what you call postgrads. So if you missed something that you didn't get to take in the 11 years that you had your diploma, you came back and took a postgraduate course. Okay. So it's, you know, it's a preparatory for college, but still you're, you're getting that high school atmosphere. Right. So that's the way this one looked. It's a beautiful uh, brick structure with, a tile roof, and uh, like I say, my guy in my class built it. And I said, Max, how did you know what it looked like? It just, he said, Miles says I had a picture, and the guy in the picture was six feet tall. I said, and this is six feet, and that's the way he scaled it out. So you've got single story in the front, two stories in the back. Okay, because you're right, because it was built on a slope right here. Okay, now the the sad thing about it, and you don't see it anymore, is it's built over a crawl space. 
And this is under the front single story of the building. It's uh, uh, probably 60,000, 70,000 square feet. And this is where the oil field gas, which is free, comes into the building. At that time, like I say, it has no spell. So after the explosion, you put mercaptan in it, you can smell it. But prior to then, so this, all the gas comes in here. And somewhere, somehow, there becomes a leak in that day that the school explodes. And this entire area here with the crawl space contains that gas. A spark in the shop ignites it, and everything from here to here goes up, literally up. As you see on the wall here, the victims by grades here, and... Uh, oh, I see, like the 5th, 6th, and 7th, that they are definitely more populated that passed away. Why? Where were all of our upperclassmen? Okay. These are in school going to class. These are at Henderson at uh, UIL meet. They're also doing activities on the football field and places like that. So this end has very few people. This has full classrooms. Wow. And unfortunately, as you see the numbers there, especially in sixth grade, there are classes with a teacher and 20 plus kids and they all lose their lives. So down in here, this is where the fatality rate is high. Now, and I know that uh, they say that 317. And so is that the time that everything that, that blew up? That it blew up, right. And what time does school let out? Or About did school let out at that It time? should have been before 3.30. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Yes. So they are just right there on their way to go home. And ironically. Or getting ready to. Yeah. I mean, the elementary school, which is in this area of the, of the campus, kids are getting on the bus over there. The elementary kids are getting on the bus to leave. And they view the explosion themselves. That is insane. There's no school going to be on Friday because of the meet over in Henderson. Right. So we got that. On the day of the explosion, the PTA is meeting. Ironically, they would have been right here in the auditorium. But the uh, kids in the elementary school are doing the Mexican hat dance and some good entertainment. And so mamas are in the gym in the back of the building. So there's 50 or so parents that were not right here. It just wasn't their time. You know, it's, can you give us a visual, in, in our podcast, I talk about how that the PTA was meeting outside of the building and that, you know, some of the upperclassmen, the sportsmen, that they were out on the field. So where would that have all been? Okay. Uh, if you were standing at the front of the school, the gym would be in this area back behind the school. Over in this area would be the football field where they would be. And the ironic thing for London, as we like to say, Friday Night Lights started here. We had a lighted football field in 1934. Yeah, we had money. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Where'd you get all this money? Well, no, I mean, you know, being from Houston, you know, growing up there, I know that, you know, it's all about, you know, Texas and, and oil money. My thing as a mom, being back there and hearing this and knowing that the first people on site would have been the moms coming oh, over yeah. here and what I can't pick up. And then uh, they said that that was the, one of the first people on site would have been the parents from the PTA and then the football players that were still here from the team, knowing that they're running to get their little brothers and sisters. That's right. 
And, you know, these moms in, in the podcast, I say that, you know, they're calling out for their child, but reaching out for any voice right. that comes out. And so just completely, I mean, just, I, I want to say earth shattering, yeah. but I mean, that's an understatement, you know, with that. Yeah. And so how did they get people to come in to come help with the search and rescue? Okay. And the, the first thing you're going to utilize is oil field workers because they are in the area and all, and their foremen are gonna to go to them at the sites and say, hey, the London school just blew up, we gotta have you. And so they come, the word gets out real quick, and then you're gonna call the National Guard, you're gonna call the uh, Red Cross, you're gonna get the Salvation Army, you're gonna get everybody. And ironically, they put a five mile perimeter around the area to keep people from coming in so that the rescue effort can work. They actually use first scout, first class boy scouts with rifles to protect it because they didn't have enough national guards and they brought everybody in that they could. Wow. And we're, we're moving bodies. We're moving, uh, trying to identify some, and a lot of we're just picking up and carrying them somewhere, whether it's a morgue or a hospital, uh, in Tyler, which is 25 or so miles away. There's a new hospital has not opened and they opened a day early to take care of the wounded. Oh, that is, you know, and what's crazy is that nowadays we actually, we train for, you know, as teachers, as workers, as uh, first responders, we train for um, events such as this, you know, what to happen, you know, in case of a, a catastrophe. And so I'm sure that never in a million years that they sit there and think that this is how their hospital would be opened. No way in the world. They've become a very critical part of the uh, London school explosion. And when we do have reunions, uh, the uh, nuns come over from the hospital and it's just a special time mm -hmm. that, uh, and uh, here at the museum, we do get uh, uh, inauguration classes that are just starting at Mother Francis and they come through and of course they know the story, but then we show them what happened and how they uh, are part of our history here. It's, uh, you know, it keeps things alive. Well, and I think that it's one thing for us to talk about it, for us to see the school. Do you have any artifacts or anything here to kind of show us just, I mean, pictures of the destruction and the people working and what they had? We have all of that on the wall. And, and the thing that is, to me, is such a spectacular show of caring and ex willing to share, okay, we're going to blow this school up in 1937. We do not have a reunion until 19. 77. So 40 years later, we're going to start talking about it, really. And then in the 98, our museum opens up. So here we've gone from 37 to 98. And what are we presented with? Mama gives us a clothes the kids had on that very day. We have toys. We have uh, things that, uh, letters that uh, ones who lose their life had written to a uh, a pen pal in London, but hadn't mailed it, those kind of things. And you know, it just kind of brings the story alive, but you think back, okay, mama had it in a box somewhere in the attic or somewhere nailed up. And finally we say, okay, we're going to share this. Didn't have the heart to let go. No, could not let go. Well, and so I'll tell you, so I'm a school teacher and even in my own personal education, never have I ever heard anything about 
the uh, London High School explosion. And then I will tell you, as a fourth grade teacher, and I teach Texas history, um, in my curriculum, there's nothing there for me to share. Um, and, and since my husband has, you know, kind of taught me being an East Texas boy, um, he has, um, you know, told me about the story. So I'm able to share that with my students, but not because of what I'm told to teach. Why do you think that it's it's not out there? Why don't we teach this to our students or? I, th I think the reason it didn't make the uh, number one story, and it did for a little while, but then you've got uh, the uh, Amelia Earhart, her situation. You've got the Hindenburg. There's a big flood up in Ohio that kills a couple of thousand people. And you have an individual over in Europe by the name of Adolf Hitler who is stirring up the world. So we kind of fall down. Why it's not in the textbook uh, is beyond me because you look at the safety that came out of the loss of the lives here at London and schools being built without crawl spaces, being built with no gas coming into it. I mean, we have a steam heat building externally that pumps the heat in. The only gas that comes in for that you could say is gas is for the Bunsen burners in the laboratory. So, uh, you know, it's uh, that came out and then uh, you and I were discussing earlier about somebody says, well, the gas stinks and you mean it didn't stink? No, it didn't stink. <laughs> At one time it did. I mean, and and that's the legacy, yeah. you know, that these, you know, what was it 294? 294 people, you know, died for us to be able to exactly. live. You know, I mean, and it's not just, you know, from that time, I mean, it's till now to my great grandchildren, you know, it's something that we have in place. Yeah, because they walk in, mm, God, that stinks. You know? Right. There's there's got to be a, a leak somewhere. There's got to be a leak. And 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 since, you know, we we published the podcast, we have have spoken with people who actually worked in the oil field who. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, I thought that, it, you know, it. It always, you know, like you said, stink. And so uh, very interesting to be able to, you know, to show that and the reason why, you know, behind um, that. So in the meantime, or in since that time, you said that we ought to talk about it for a long time. No. And uh, you even mentioned going to school here and really not understanding uh, you just knew the it impact. Well. Right. Yeah. And so what do y'all do differently today? Well, to make a difference. There's too. a lot of things that we've got going for sure, especially with the museum that, and with the artifacts and the story. And we have uh, videos of people talking about what they went through at that time and the rebuilding of the school. And uh, we have uh, gentlemen who were the uh, newscasters at the time and later on in life become somebody that I know a lot about. Maybe not if you're in the, the 90s, but in the 50s, a little gentleman known as Walter Cronkite. And it was Walter Cronkite's very first big story. Yes. So with, in my day at 5.30, when Walter Cronkite came on, you sat down and you listened to him. I mean, and I heard that he came in, he was working for what, the U.S. Press? So did so the Press, so did Press, and, out in Dallas. Out in Dallas, and, and so. he came down and uh, was blocked from getting into the area and catches up with a uh, Beaumont fire truck, and uh, which is bringing in searchlights, and he and the gentleman working with him, and that's how they got into the area to do their uh, news coverage. And He'll tell you about it. He's written books, and of course, we, we have an audio of him talking about it that uh, it was something he had never seen before. I mean, and for those of our, um, our audience members who are, 
isn't familiar with um, Walter Cronkite, I mean, this is a huge uh, news news reporter. I mean, and even a war correspondents has gone to other places and mentioned that nothing had prepared him for what, for he, saw. what he saw here. And um, you know, I don't think that really anybody you know who didn't live through it. I mean, today we've got you know school shootings. We have yeah. you know those kind of things. But I mean tragedies like this happen. Well, when you're taking 300 kids, well, well, right out of a community that's not that big. Right. And as, as you walk through the museum and you look at pictures that we have, and we have pictures that show uh, the rescue workers going on and the hand and standing, you see a lot of dresses in the groups, and that's mamas. And mamas are there to try to find their children. And, you know, the question they're answering is, have you seen a girl with a red dress that has black shoes or those kind of things? I'm looking for my kids. And, you know, one thing that we talked about was that, I mean, you talk about having a red dress. With that powder, that mortar that's all over you, you can't really see color, you know? So, I mean, nobody really knew, you know, anything. And, and the hard thing is, is those that are taken away that lost their lives or are buried and whatever, uh, like you say, you can't see anything, but then there's that critical moment where the face is revealed to you. And there's the feeling of, that's not my daughter, that's not my son, or, oh my, that's Johnny. You know, Miles, you were talking about uh, people coming out to help and everything. And so, you know, I, I want to be sensitive to what they went through and what they were going through and everything. But I hear that y'all had, or they had peach baskets. They were right. collecting debris and they were collecting body parts. The whole bit. And Good. so were there a lot of, children or people that were misidentified? Oh, yes. I mean, you, you, you think the part, you know, if uh, I know the wife's uh, aunt lost a daughter and she said there wasn't a mark on her. And then there's others who are identified by the fact that they had black shoes or they had their fingernails painted with such and such a color or had a pocket knife. So uh, you've got from one gamut to the other. And so they're, they're bringing stuff out. Mm -hmm. and, and I know in, in the book that I gave you, there's a description in there that the baskets were full of body parts. So I just... It, it's hard to believe. It is. But when you see that, as you come through the museum and you see the devastation in the pictures that were taken there in 37, and you see just how much power was in this explosion, you realize that, hey, this is like World War II or Vietnam or Korea War. I mean, it's bad. Right. It's bad. I mean... Then the baskets came from a factory in Jacksonville. Oh, okay. And in my day, uh, I was a good friend with, uh, with a guy down there, Butch Shanks, and his daddy owned the basket factory. <laughs> One of those things, you right. know. Right. They, they, they it's not in the family anymore, but they, there's a truck driver coming from Jacksonville with a load of baskets, and he pulls right off the road, and they take them and in and out, in and out. There's one here. We'll it's see. not a, it's one, it's a <laughs> replica, of course, but that's what you would see. And then you see pieces of things like the mailbox that we have, or there's a, uh, a band trophy that the uh, high school principal picked up that was just crushed. And then later on in life, his uh, daughter gives it to us, you know. <laughs> As I mentioned before, you know, 37 we blow up, 77 we meet, 98 we come, and these kind of things that just keep turning up all the time. And here we keep seeing things that, 
and stories that come by, somebody will come through and say, well, that's a picture of my grandmother. It was her job to identify bodies. You know, those kind of things are, it's, it's just little stories that keep popping up. And if you'll find out, I'm sure with your podcast and everything, people will say, oh yeah, my mother was there. My grandfather was there or something. You know, it just hit me. We talk about the, the community after the you know big announcement and everything that they didn't talk about anything. And for years, how quiet they were. But seeing everything that they held on to, it's not that they didn't want to remember. Oh no, they can't. They didn't want to forget. They wanted to remember, you know, that privately. That was special. And um, and so it, it's just such a grave, you know, situation. How could you? How could you? Yeah. You know. And, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that uh, in that day and time, there is nothing but families, neighbors, and the good Lord, and that's the only thing that can can make you hold together. And so the families held each other together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, because there was a time that they didn't talk about it. And then there was the time whenever you went to school and you just knew that there was, you know, a situation that happened, some kids that died. What do, what do y'all do differently today to help memorize and uh, memorialize and to, uh, to honor these victims? Okay. Of course, we've got the museum, and that's what we're talking about. And you're, you've been such a special friend of, of going through here with things and all. And uh, just send me the bill. You know, <laughs> you may not get anything. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we have that. And of course, we take the seventh graders and we bring them over and take them through the museum, tell them the story. So because it's not in their textbook, and they get that idea. Uh, we have uh, reunions every other year, and then every year on the. Uh, the day of the explosion, March 18th, uh, we'll, we'll have uh, memorial services. Uh, in the past, we've had, when the numbers were bigger, we would have an auditorium. This year, it'll be a little bit different. We'll have a, an afternoon service in the auditorium, and then we'll come out to the island where the cenotaph is, which is uh, Greek for empty tomb, has all the names engraved on it, and we'll probably have a prayer, a little talk, and then at 317, we'll play taps. Oh, which is word. that time, it's that special time. And as you and I were talking about, you know, 317, I mean, school's out almost. Right. It's just one of those things that happened. And then uh, some of the other things that we do when we built the uh, new football field in Bruce Bradshaw Stadium, uh, at the 37-yard line, there is a yellow mark of the hash now, marks. Let, let's tell our, our audience here, what's the representation of the 37? Okay, 1937. The and explosion happened in 1937, and so... 37-yard line. I'm, I'm doing the broadcasting for the high school sports here, at, which is now West Russ, but always London. And uh, we make sure that if there's a radio station or somebody that's doing something visiting team, that they know what that 37-yard line means to us as uh, people who have either had lives uh, affected here or who are part of the telling of the history of the story. And uh, we do that. And then the other thing we've added here about two years ago, that uh, either a West Russ player or we'll honor somebody from a visiting team for a situation, will wear, when the captains go out to uh, for the coin toss, they'll wear a number 37 jersey. Now, is that only here at your home games or? On the road. Because I did a ball game on the road last night. And yeah, we went one last night. 
Oh my gosh. We need to come up here and we need to come see that. Let's do that. Yes. Well, all you got to do is come this Friday night. We're playing Quitman with another big W, of course, for, for the West Rush Raiders. <laughs> but you come. Honestly, thank you so much for having us. Hey. And again, with all of this that we've learned, I've gained an amazing friend. I mean, I just, we want to do everything that we can to help get this story out because just like you didn't know, I certainly knew even less. And you're a teacher. And I'm a teacher. And so uh, we do, we want to honor, you know, these 294 people that passed away by coming to okay. y'all's event every other year. Really? And uh, so just know that Crazy for Texas is going to be here. If we can help out in any way um, with the festivities and the memorial, please, um, we would love to. We would love to help out. And Appreciate so... That. We hope that you guys will come and visit the uh, the London Museum and come look around. The, I mean, the artifacts are amazing. We've got trophies that are, um, I mean, just imploded. Um, what's one of the most amazing things that you have here at the museum that one amazes you? One of the things that shocked me in the very beginning is that we have a telegram of condolences from Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, tell me about that. The, that the, is... the one and only one. You know, we had that, and then we have some videos that uh, they're interviews with. Uh, well, there's an interview with a uh, lady who was in the PTA meeting, and she can't talk about it. There's a mother who is at uh, lost a child, and in the springtime she gets affected so much by it. We have those who couldn't come back by the the area because of the explosion who were survivors, and then we have those who tell the story of swapping seats with a young girl who gets killed. Oh. And we won't get into too details on that because I want you to come and see that. Yes, And then yes. the last uh, part of the video, he talks about the fact that, and it's what we're doing and what you're helping us do is that as long as you mention it and you talk about it, they ain't dead. I mean, and they're not. They're not. And this is a time when a generation was lost. Oh, yes, it was. And so. that's, that's the way we say it. You know, the day a generation was lost. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. <laughs>
We often put off what we could and should do in the moment. So take the time to hug and tell those that you love them because we're never promised next week, tomorrow, or even this afternoon. Thank you for listening and joining us on this adventure as we discover while we're crazy for Texas. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so we can grow and reach more listeners. To hold you over until our next adventure, visit us at crazyfortexas.net for more information and content about our explorations of the history of our great state of Texas beyond the textbook. Be sure to also check us out on YouTube and Facebook at Crazy for Texas and on TikTok at crazyfortexas.net. Remember, if you have any questions or suggestions about an episode you've heard, or even if you have an idea or a piece of your own history that's been passed down your family tree that you'd like us to explore for a future show, please contact me at host at crazyfortexas.net. Until next time.